Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And with us today, I'm so happy to have my cousin, Meredith Schott. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Yay. Hi. Welcome. For <laughs> listeners of our podcast, you will know one of Meredith's family members. My other cousin who's been on the podcast, Sarah Russell, is Meredith's older sister. So you're getting a real glimpse into the <laughs> Hoyer web of family. <laughs> That's true. Meredith, where are you joining us from today? Uh, I'm in the Orlando area, Orlando Forest. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about Team Shot? Yes. Well, as you mentioned, Sarah, who was on the podcast before, is my oldest sister. So I'm the third of four. um, And we grew up in the Orlando area in Florida. And now I still live there with um, my husband and my two kids. I have two boys, 12 and 10. Very cool. And I love teach, it. You know, I should say, yeah, I teach in Orlando too. I should say we specifically had you on because we wanted another teacher as Adam and Christina start this school. What do you teach? I teach currently as class for students with dyslexia. That's a third grade class with like 10 students there. In the past, I've worked always in Florida, but I've taught students with autism, done reading intervention, like in a regular school. And then now I'm at like a private school working with students with dyslexia. Wow. That's so great. I can't wait to hear all you have to say. I know. It's perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) Our last question for newbies is, what is your history with the show Parenthood? I did watch all the episodes when they aired, like live TV, like back in the day when you had to wait for it. So most of them I watched then. I feel like right as it was finishing, streaming was coming more of a thing. So the last couple of seasons I might have streamed, but I think most of them I watched like waiting for them to air the day of. But since then, I have not gone back to like binge watch through a lot. So I watched this episode, but a little bit rusty otherwise. All right. Blast from the past. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you. Thank you so much. And let's dive in. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Today we're discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 16, The Enchanting Mr. Knight. (laughs) It was written by Julia Brownell, directed by Allison Liddy Brown. It originally aired on March 6th, 2014. And here's the TV Guide synopsis. Christina has a checkup and begins a new adventure. Amber persuades Drew to leave his past behind while Julia struggles to move on. Sarah gets an attractive offer, and Hank realizes that he still carries a torch for a former lover. I wonder which one. (laughs) I did not see that coming. It's (laughs) Sandy. This episode begins with Sarah and Carl in bed, and my first note was, it's safe to say that they're actually dating now, right? <laughs> I think so. It seems like it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Finally, they're at least just dating. Yeah. <laughs> so Carl invites Sarah to go to Africa with him. And I thought, oh, she's going to say no. She's going to say she's busy. But she actually said yes. And it's like, great. And then she made the mistake of telling Hank. <laughs> <laughs> and he ran off for an emergency meeting with Dr. Whooping Crane. And... <laughs> Who, if I were him, I would just drop him as a patient. Yeah. Does he not understand what constitutes an emergency? He does not. And what doesn't? (laughs) Anything involving Sarah is an emergency, clearly. Yeah. I feel uncomfortable. We have to meet. So the first (laughs) thing I wanted to discuss about this conflict was Hank's diagnosis, shall we say, of Sarah. You got a, a malaria net? Well, I guess, you know, I'm going to Africa, and you're mad about it. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. No? No, nobody said I was mad. Well, what? Disappointed. Uh Uh-huh. Disappointed, yeah. 
we started this project and, and I saw something new in you. You really wanted this. You were focused. And I thought that we were making something that could turn out to be really good. We are. Yeah, but we, then, then you, will. you just started doing something that I've seen you do your, your whole life. I'm seeing patterns. You got a good job here. You got a great opportunity. And you're blowing it off for some guy. What is this? I don't know. What are you doing? Listen, maybe you're scared. Maybe deep down you think uh, you can't make it as a photographer, whatever it is. And this is regardless of what I think of that guy, which is that he pretty much sucks. In case you're wondering, because he gets you the job, and now he... He didn't get me the job. Well, whatever. He helped you do it, and now so... he's telling you that it doesn't matter. I'm just... I'm, I'm reporting to you that I'm seeing you do what you always do. Mm. You put a man before yourself. I don't think you should do that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Are you, Are you done? Me? Yes, I am. Because uh, you're coming over here and reporting your honesty to me. I'm just trying to be honest. I didn't ask. How dare you tell me about my problems and patterns when I don't see you any more connected to somebody than you were when we were together? I mean, you're Mr. Perfect Relationship, great career guy? No. I'm taking a uh, once-in-a-lifetime okay. opportunity to do something very cool, and why do you have to come over and make me feel bad about it? All right. It's a bad idea. I'm going to go. Enjoy your trip. So I have plenty of thoughts, but what say you? I thought he was probably right. I think that she does like sabotage. You know, I was like, who just leaves for Africa? I don't remember all the backstory, but I think it was okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, don't you have something going on? I don't understand how you can just leave next week. I did. I do always often go to practical things. Like, is her passport current? Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, don't you need shots? Like, what, what part of Africa are you oh, going? Yeah, to? that's a good point. Oh, I did and not think do, that. And where does one even get a malaria net on a week's notice? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you're making me rethink a little. I will say the line of Carl's that I found like unintentionally hilarious, and I don't think I wrote it down, but it was something to the effect of there will be so much there for you to photograph. You'll be so inspired. And I'm like, someone wrote this who has never been to Zimbabwe because, and I haven't, but you know, my friend Juliet has, I would, I, I would, I would like call her. I'd be like, what could she photograph in Zimbabwe specifically? Because he was just like, the things you'll see, they will inspire you. It will blow your mind. But it was so vague that I found it a little funny. I don't know if that, anyway, that was not the point. I thought she should go except the deadline thing. I, I do get nervous about like responsibilities. But then I thought, well, you know, I took off time to go to AWP last year, you know, a writer's conference, and I'm never absent ever. I think that work-life balance is important. I think it maybe makes me nervous because this is Sarah's first job ever. And maybe it's not a great job to ask for a, an extension on a deadline, your first job ever. But man, when do you get to go to Africa? Like, what an amazing opportunity. So those were my thoughts. But I'm really just desperate to know Caleb's because... <laughs> You said you had so many. I agree with you. She should make sure that yes. she can extend that deadline before she goes. Yes. It shouldn't be like a, um, oh, better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. Not about that. Yeah. If you get the all clear, then I was like, yeah, you should take this opportunity. I was on Sarah's side in that scene because, A, she didn't ask for Hank's opinion. Yeah. Nor does she need his permission to go on a trip with whoever she chooses. And I didn't really think his observations about Sarah were completely accurate. Although actually I think Meredith, even just like your observation there makes me think maybe it's less that he was inaccurate and that the show has maybe not portrayed Carl in a way that convinces me of Hank's argument. 
Because I feel like Carl now is pretty supportive of Sarah and everything she wants to do and like makes room for her in their relationship for her to pursue what she wants. So I never saw this as her putting him before her work. If that's what we were supposed to get, then I think Carl needed to be like a bigger jerk. And maybe that's to the show's credit. Maybe they're being like nuanced about it in the way that in life people aren't just villains or heroes. But I kind of didn't buy it. And I don't think Carl sucks, as Hank says. I used to, but I don't at this point. He's been more supportive of her than anyone we've seen except Mark. And, you know, and Hank had no problem with Sarah putting a guy ahead of herself when it was him. (laughs) When he was the guy. (laughs) That she was putting ahead of her engagement to Mark. Yeah. I thought the problem here is that Hank's not being honest. He's not concerned about her patterns. He's jealous. And he wasn't saying that because he knows that's not going to look good. Wow. I don't know. That was my, I felt oddly passionate (laughs) about this storyline, which is why I started with it. I was like, you know, what's so funny. I kind of thought that (laughs) weirdly, I kind of thought that Hank was being a good friend to make sure she didn't bail on her, um, on her deadline. And now I, nope. You're right. (laughs) You've completely changed my mind because the more I listen to that back, like just hearing the audio and hearing these things he said, I just kept poking holes in everything he said. Number one, he's like, your whole life I've seen you do this. I'm like, for the two years you've known her, that whatever. Um, I did think of the thing you said, Caleb, about how he had no problem with this when, when the stable thing she had was an engagement and he was the distraction, the guy. And then I also just thought maybe Sarah was being a little harsh with him, like pointing out that he didn't have a relationship or anything like that. And I was like, wow, this is like the one episode where Sarah's a little meaner than Hank. But she's standing up for herself is now how I see it. Like he just came in there with with his opinions. He said, you've gotten it in your head somehow that you're not a great photographer. And I'm like, I wonder where she got that idea. You're constantly <laughs> undermining her and telling her that like, well, this one's okay, but I did most of the work. And he like, the best compliment he can give her is it's pretty good. And then he takes out all the taco trucks of every picture. So I'm just saying, yeah, Caleb, you're right. <laughs> well, and they also may have convinced me more if they made it seem like they had more work left to do, but it also seemed like they were almost done yeah. with the project. Yeah, I did. I felt like when they reviewed earlier, I was like, he's acting like they're pretty much done. And like, she may not even have to move back the deadline. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, like submit it like, early. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh so gosh. if they wanted me to be like, no, Sarah, don't do this. They should have been like, oh, they have a ton of work left to do. And she's just going to fly off to Africa because it's a great opportunity. Then I would have been more maybe on Hank's side. Wow. But anyway, I did not remember how things progressed between her and Carl. I did not remember that this episode was the end of them. No. Before we get to that, I have to do one little aside. Carl mentions a documentary called Muscle Shoals. (laughs) That's a 2013 documentary about fame recording studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and the artists who recorded there, such as Leonard Skinnerd and Aretha Franklin. Ah. And it is indeed an acclaimed documentary. So I haven't watched it, but apparently it's great. And Carl thinks so. So <laughs> I like that he likes documentaries. That's just the more we learn about Carl, the more I like him. That's yeah. so sad. <laughs> if it weren't for that, he doesn't date anyone over 30 thing. I might have liked him this whole time. This whole time. Yeah, that's true. He started real rough, real rocky. 
I do have thoughts about their breakup. Are we there yet? We're there. Where's your stuff? I can't go. Huh? I know it sounds crazy. I'm sure I'll never have this chance again. But I was getting ready and I looked in the bathroom mirror. And you know that. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. The uh, I saw that. The year of Sarah. <laughs> the year of Sarah. The year of Sarah. I was gonna ask, but I. When I moved in, I I put that up. As corny as that seems, to remind myself. What a big year this is. Finally, living on my own, not in my parents' house. My kids are doing well, starting a new career. I have a tendency to get distracted. And I put that note up to remind myself not to get distracted. Yes, distractions can be dangerous. <laughs> Especially when they look so good. <laughs> and I'm guessing when I get back, that's... Yeah. I don't think... Yeah. Well, I've got a plane to catch. Have a great time. I'll see you around. I'll see you around. I hated this. <laughs> I, just, I finally came around to Carl, and Sarah had to, and now he's not good for her. How is he a distraction, but like Mark wasn't? I, I, I don't understand that distinction. And then that she's ditching him for Hank, who's jealous and possessive and so unself aware that he doesn't even realize that he's getting in her way. But now Sarah is going to deny herself a chance to travel outside of the country and is going to tell herself that it's all part of the year of Sarah. That was some irony to me, I think. <laughs> yes! Oh. And, and like I said, I think she and Hank are wrong about the pattern that's repeating itself here. I think the pattern that's repeating is her putting some loser who needs her above <laughs> opportunities that she wants and yes. that benefit her. Oh my God. Anyway, okay. No, <laughs> that, that was perfect. I'm off my soapbox. I, you are free to disagree. Nope. Not gonna, because I just kept thinking, what's more the year of Sarah than freaking going to Africa with a doctor who says he's falling for you? Ding, ding, ding. The year of Sarah has happened. You, you've got it. What are you doing? So instead, I mean, the only thing that makes sense is the deadline. And that just really doesn't hold water to all the rest of this, especially since Carl knows the guy. And if he says it's probably fine, it's probably fine. And you're right. This pattern, it was with Seth and now it's with, with Hank as well. And it breaks my heart, actually. I hate it. Okay, Meredith, we, we okay, both, yeah, yeah, Meredith, you were you were more on Hank's side <laughs> yeah, to start sorry, with. Sorry, we've just and I I am open to that. You might yeah. have won me over. <laughs> sorry. No, I do think now. See, I couldn't remember what happened after this if she gets back with Hank because I feel like that would affect my feelings on this incident. We are we are spoiler free, so we won't say. But I will say. Okay. It seems as though it, sure, it yeah, seems, right. like, seems like that. Yeah, it seems because like I don't fun. think then I would be like, no, I'd be off his. I don't think she needs. I would agree with you that she, yeah, has this need to like fix or pick the guy that's not emotionally attainable. Yeah, and you know, even though you watch the whole series, since you haven't watched since it aired, I think to just drop in on this episode you wouldn't have a strong opinion as I do. Because my memory of Hank was basically that I liked him. And there's 
a lot of times that I still do, but I did not in this episode. And my memory yeah. of Carl was that he was kind of a doofus and he has grown on me more this time than I had remembered. So I think there is a lot of context to this. Yeah. That is getting me so riled up. Yeah. I also want to mention in that breakup scene, did everyone notice how no one said, are you breaking up with me? <laughs> and yet we still totally understood that it was a breakup. It can be done. <laughs> you know, the thing that really got me about that year of Sarah thing is that this was the very first time we heard about the damn sticker or heard that that was her motto for the year. And I thought, boy, that would have resonated a lot more if we didn't. Didn't she say it at the beginning of this? Oh. I feel like when she moved out, I don't know that we ever saw the sticker. But okay. I think she said it. Did she say year of Sarah? Oh, no, but I would I agree. If that's so. not a thing through this season, and it feels like they threw it in there to make her not go to Africa. Yeah, we certainly haven't seen it on her bathroom mirror. But now now I'm wondering, was it at the beginning of season five? Or is this something that she sort of says at the beginning of most seasons? <laughs> every year. Every year. It she's might like, be. Because like at the beginning of season two, she's like, uh, time to get a real job. I'm going out there. And she invents the shoe clicker. And then at the beginning of season three, she's like getting back together with Mark because she's like, it's finally time. And then the beginning of season four, she's like, I'm going to be a photographer now and I'm going to go work for this guy. And I wonder if every season it's like new start, <laughs> new slate for Sarah starting over. But then it's just the same old thing. And I watched that last scene between her and Hank in horror. Because she was proud that she didn't go to Africa. She yeah. like came sauntering in. I didn't go. And I just felt despair for her. I felt like I was watching her make a mistake in real time while thinking that it was growth. Oh. I think it would have been growth if she made the decision on her own. Yeah. <laughs> Hank talked her out it of it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if someone talks you out of it, then it, it negates it. Right. Yeah, because I thought all wow. this really shows is that Hank knows his hooks are like well and truly in her. And I don't think his motives were like nefarious. I do think they were self-serving. I think he was operating out of jealousy, not concern, like I said. But I just thought, oh, she can't escape. She will put him and his needs before everything. Well, what do you two think would have happened if instead of Sarah going to Hank, Sarah had gone to literally anyone else, you know, one of her siblings, and said, what do you think? I have this opportunity to go to Africa with this, you know, hot doctor. <laughs> Do you think they would have been like, but what about your deadline? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, I think knowing her, they might have asked. They might have said, what about, I thought you had this big oh, yeah. thing going on with that, the new job that you were starting in this year of Sarah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. My mind went right to Julia, like her asking Julia. Yeah, I, I, was, like Julia, I was thinking Julia would be like, stay and finish the job. Yeah, yeah, she would be like, what's the deadline? But I think if she said, oh, it won't impact that, which we didn't delve into, so maybe it would have. But then I think she'd be like, yeah, go have an adventure. You've lived in a guest house for the last four years. Leave the continent. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> for sure, Crosby. Maybe that's just what I wanted for her. Yeah. Not, you no, know. Me too. No, for sure, Crosby would have been like, yeah, go to Africa. Adam maybe would have been like, you have responsibilities. <laughs> he probably would have been like, who's Carl? <laughs> Never heard of this guy. <laughs> Why are you cheating uh, on me with Oh doctor? no. I was about to say something like that that he too would have talked around out of jealousy and then I realized we can't make those jokes anymore because Peter Krause and Lauren Graham they broke up. Anyway. Well, 
that's my impassioned opinions on Sarah in this episode. Yeah, I really didn't understand why she broke up with him. Like, even if she was like, I've got a deadline. How is Carl just a distraction if he's got a really good caring job and really cares about her? Is is ha- has having a serious relationship not part of the year of Sarah? Or like, you know, like, like, do you know what I mean? Does she have to be on her own forever? Or... And, you know, here's another thing. Like, if... <laughs> If the guy she was with, even if he was nice, but if it was not a serious relationship, like let's say she was with a like really hot young guy who she had a lot of fun with, but it was not like a life partner. Again, I might be a little more on board. Like, Sarah, what are you doing? Like pretending you're in your 20s when you're actually in your 40s and not focusing on your job, but like gallivanting off. And if they were going for some frivolous reason, like, oh, let's go on vacation. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to go work because I'm a doctor who saves babies (laughs) and you can take pictures. But if it was like, let's go, you know, to Turks and Caicos and just have us a nice week. All of these things would have helped, but I feel like they did not stick the landing of whatever move they were going for. I am finding some interesting parallels between Carl and Mark now, though. Not just the fact that both of them seem more supportive and stable, and she each time chooses Seth and then Hank. But I'm also thinking earlier, Caleb, you were like, well, how is Carl a distraction and Mark wasn't? But I think ultimately she decided that Mark was because do you remember that weird breakup at the end of season four when she chooses Hank over Mark and she says, I'm going to work things out with Hank. I got to get my life together. Yeah. And we were like, what? Doesn't Mark mean getting your life together? How does Hank mean getting your life together? The brand new guy who just broke up your engagement? What's happening? And they both want to travel. Like Mark kept saying, let's go to Morocco. Let's go here. Let's go there. And now Carl is also offering her sort of an opportunity to travel. And instead it's like, no, I'm just going to hang out in this studio with someone who's low-key mean to me. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. We, yeah, Meredith, you're, you're like, I loved Hank. What are you two doing to my memory of this character? I'm so sorry, but this rewatch. I don't remember too much. I was just thinking maybe she just doesn't like to travel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's go on to the Adam Christina yeah. storylines. I feel like they kind of had two that were a little mm-hmm. intertwined. So this episode marks the first appearance of Zachary Knighton as Evan Knight. He's done a lot of TV shows, I realized when I looked him up. Happy Endings, Magnum P.I., a one-season show on ABC called Flash Forward, uh, like flop on Fox called Life on a Stick. (laughs) So if you're like, I've seen him somewhere before, you probably have. Do we think they named him Knight because he was supposed to be like, a knight in shining armor. Oh my god, I didn't, but now I do. It's <laughs> <laughs> like it's maybe a little heavy-handed. Anyway, do you think that Mr. Knight is, as the episode's title says, enchanting? I'm actually getting my PhD right now at Berkeley, and one of the crazy, fascinating things that I've been studying is that sitting in chairs is is a totally antiquated idea. 
I mean, kids like Max, they, they learn better and they're, and they're far more engaged when they're up, you know? They're walking around, they're interacting with the class. I mean, otherwise half their energy is wasted trying to force themselves to sit still, you know? Right, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I know I do better when I'm up. I can't sit still for anything. I like to move my body, you know? I like to move my yes. body too, yeah. yeah. I mean, you would not believe the progress that he's made in one week since I took his chair away. Wow. Hmm. That's a brilliant kid you got there. Thank you. That is so nice to hear. Thanks. Well, look, I get it. This school can be a tough place. Well, honestly, I, I wish that there were more schools that catered to kids like Max. I mean, he's such a smart kid. It's so crazy that you're saying that because we were actually thinking about, we were talking about possibly starting our own school. Charter school. What? Yeah. For the in-between kids like Max who you know, are gifted and do well, but need a little extra attention, like you said. Cool. So, well, that's, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's great. That's great. Uh, you, don't, you don't look like you think that's great. Well, it's just charter schools are tough. It's a lot of red tape. We know that. We're not really afraid of red tape. I mean, we've dealt with other things well, honestly, before, so. A lot of times, they, they just don't last. The parents will start a charter school for their own kid. Kid graduates, parents lose interest, and the school falls apart. We wouldn't. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't. Of course not. I'm not, I'm not saying that mm -mm. at all. It's just, I've seen this before. It's going to be a lot harder than you think. So what grade did the teachers give him? I will say that I really did like his approach of taking the chair away. I thought that was a really cool way of differentiating. I thought that made sense. I also really liked that he brought up the idea that parents get all excited to start this specifically for their kid and then the kid graduates and they lose interest because I had not even thought of that when I was wondering if this school thing was a realistic idea. And then I thought, oh my God, they would totally do that. I mean, not because they're bad people yeah. or anything, but Max is their sole reason for doing this, I felt like. And I felt like this was good for him to bring up because I think it made them go, oh, we can't do that. Like, I don't think they'll do it now because someone has pointed that out to them. Those were my two takeaways. Um, what about you guys? I thought his initial like PhD drop was obnoxious. So I had trouble... <laughs> <laughs> I had trouble uh, listening to and then I just kept thinking I don't think any teacher would say this like so boldly in the first like if some parent told me they were thinking of starting a charter school I probably would be like oh, okay that's nice like that's sweet like talk to me when like you have some funding and like it's a real thing <laughs> <laughs> that's true is he like kind of a mansplainer like you know like this is interesting I mean I I don't know, maybe this isn't just a gender thing. Maybe this is just a personality thing. But it was, my mom really like taught me to downplay my accomplishments all the time. Um, you know, be modest, be almost meek, you know? I love my mom. Like, this is no diss. But like, I think maybe that, you know, because you're right. That is so bold to just be like, I'm getting a PhD and this is what we've learned. I wouldn't do that. I wonder why. I mean, I guess I wouldn't do it, but I've learned in education with parents and especially with parents that have a high education, I'm learning that it is a benefit to state your credentials, especially if it's over like a bachelor's degree. Yeah. That makes sense. When I switched to the private school, I have a master's that's specifically in learning disabilities and I had to do like a write-up and it was on their website and things like that. And I was shocked at how many parents came in and they were like, well, we already saw that you have a master's. So we're sure that it's, that you're, you know, 
I was like, oh, I've never yeah. had a parent care before. <laughs> you know, like, and that it's a private school. I feel like they're checking up on the teachers more and all the parents are generally their professionals with their own advanced degrees of some, one kind or another. So I feel like they're buys me a little more credit in the conference. <laughs> it's a good point. Like I have my my bachelor's and my master's degrees displayed in my classroom, which I think the way I was brought up, I would have been brought up to think, don't do that. You know, it's that's tacky or something. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, the older I've gotten, the more I've tried to be like, no, you earn these things, own them and be proud of them. And I think in his case, it did make sense to mention that right off because I mean, he didn't know this, but maybe he sensed it that they were coming in for a conference because they were mad. And I mean, she was all like, get this guy out of here. He's scum. The first thing he does is prove what, that he knows what he's doing. And I, that does make sense. That's interesting. Well, and now I'm thinking of the yeah. Dr. Biden, you know, when Jill Biden became first lady. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was like a real like people thought it was super obnoxious that she goes by Dr. Biden instead of Ms. Biden. And you better believe that if it was a man who had the PhD, you know, like if, it, it, then they'd right. be like, of course. But, you know, like people were like, ugh, why does she keep insisting on this? Well, because she earned it, you know? And so anyway, right. I'm going back and forth. Well, I think this is the first time they specifically mentioned that this school they're planning is um, a charter school. I looked up what a charter school was. And according to edweek.org, a charter school is a tuition-free school of choice that is publicly funded but independently run. But what would you guys say is a charter school? What makes a charter school different from a public school or a private school? That definition sounds accurate. Here in Florida, I think it's different like per state and probably per district, but I believe here in Florida, the school district has to vote to allow you in. There might be some overrides where the state can also put it in a district. But so in the district, like where my kids live, I work in a separate county or district from where the, my kids go to school in. But the one they go to school in, they try to really keep it where the charter school is serving some need that the public school cannot meet. Because otherwise, it's someone just really claiming that they can take public funds, meet the needs of students. And generally, they, a lot of times they're for profit. So then you have to kind of wonder, like, the public schools aren't flush with cash. Right. <laughs> so if they're getting the same funding as the public school, how are you providing services and also making some money on the side? Huh. So, it, yeah, it kind of begs that question, I think. We do have a couple charter schools in Orlando that are known really well for meeting the needs of special ed students that are, like, credible. But I also worked in a Title I school for four years in Orlando. And I would get many students from very small charter schools that just had what appeared to be very little like curriculum or high standards. I mean, just getting kids in fourth, fifth grade with like no reading skills or no and no sign or paperwork that they were receiving any intervention or extra help to benefit them. One thing that Mr. Knight said in that scene, I felt like he was talking about parents starting their own schools for their kids as if that happens all the time. And I remember when I watched it before, I used to think it was really impractical, but I thought, well, maybe this does happen more often than I thought. Does the very notion seem unrealistic to you? Or is it like, yeah, there's always some parent thinking, I'll just start a school. I think it's very, again, it really depends on the state. If you, if you Google it quickly, there's certain cities even that are really bad for charter schools. Not bad. They're really easy to start charter schools. Again, I think Florida might be one of the easier ones because it 
I remember a few years ago looking up the number of charter schools that close and it's a lot. <laughs> so the real problem with it is that you can start a charter school and, you know, the state gives you funding, I think twice a year, maybe once a year, they do a count of students and you get money per student. So if a charter school does a count in October and they've got 500 students, they get the money for 500 students. Well, then here in Orlando, even we've had charter schools that just close then in December, they're closed. So now those 500 students, guess where they end up going to the public school? Mm. The charter school does not have to return that money for that school year. Wow. So whatever money they just claim to have lost, whoever started this school has done Lord knows what with the money, but it's gone. And now those 500 kids are in their local public schools that have gotten no funding for them. And they've got to find a classroom, find books, teachers. If they have an IEP or an EP, they have to find the special ed teachers to give them those services all without that funding that year. Wow. And I took your advice just now and did a quick Google. <laughs> Google came up with people also ask which states are most charter school friendly. Mm -hmm. And it says, according to the official NAPCS report, the top 10 charter law states are as follows. Minnesota, Florida, mm. Massachusetts, Colorado, New York, California, mm. Georgia, D.C., Louisiana, and Utah. So you were right about Florida. Oh. And the show is in a state that's at least in the top 10 friendly to charter schools. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is not as unrealistic as I always thought it was. <laughs> but I think, Meredith, you do bring up some points that make it clear why, I don't know, I, I always get a little uncomfortable about the subject. And then I have to investigate that because certainly, in theory, it's a wonderful idea. Oh, kids like Max are falling through the cracks. What can we do about that? And, it, you know, even though I've worked in public schools, you know, this is my 17th year in public education, and I feel very strongly about it and believe in what I do, so I can get defensive. I, you know, I definitely know that. It's not perfect, and there are problems. You know, things, things do happen. Kids do fall through the cracks. So why does it sort of make me feel uncomfortable, the idea of what they're doing? Why don't I just think, well, this is wonderful? You know, I, I'm not sure, but I, I do think it has maybe something to do with the fact that they are sort of acting like it's easy to do this. And, and you know, prior to this episode, I don't know what their plan was for bringing in teachers. <laughs> you know, now it seems that they're like, oh, we should have one here, this guy. And then I'm like, <laughs> but he, he doesn't like chairs. <laughs> Hired. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Then I'm like, he has a job. What are you going to pay him with? But I mean, I'm sure that they'll get funding and it'll all be fine. But I mean, when he's like at the end of the episode, he's like, well, come on inside. Tell me more. I'd be like, how will you pay me if I leave my job for this <laughs> thing that doesn't exist? I That really <laughs> boggled my mind. Um, and I also thought he's doing a lot of good in that high school. But clearly, the only two good teachers at that school are him and Mark Sear. <laughs> Everyone else we've met has been totally incompetent. <laughs> don't don't take away the good teachers. Um, but then, yeah. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Well, I was all on the side of, yeah, this is a bad idea. It's outlandish. And Adam, of all people, kind of got in my head and made me reconsider. You know, I just was thinking about Mr. Knight. Even though he's a little unconventional, I think his philosophy is just... I don't know. It's kind of outstanding and it's different and mm -hmm. he's very smart. I don't That's know, just really the way smart. that he is and yeah. what he emulates and just puts off. Yeah, puts off, yeah. Puts out there. 
Why are you looking at me like that? You got a little tongue tied when you were talking to him. No, I didn't. Christina, it's okay if you find him attractive. Stop it. I don't find him attractive. Listen, this is what I'm saying. He made some really valid points about the school. You know, I just feel like I don't want to start something and get in over our head. And and that's a huge... We're always in over our heads. You just ran for mayor. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I don't want this to be unrealistic. And I want to make sure that this is something that we can follow through on. Doesn't sound like you, Christina, being afraid of something unrealistic. I'm not afraid of it, Adam. I'm just saying. And you know what? It's a great idea. You had a great idea. And we're starting the school because our son, Max, deserves a good place to learn. And so do other kids like Max. Yeah, I know. One handsome teacher who's got an awesome personality does not a bad idea make. I didn't say that. Okay? It's a good idea. And that's why we need to do this. Suddenly I was thinking, especially if parents do this more frequently than I thought, If there are two passionate parents who want to start a school for children with special needs, am I a jerk for poo-pooing that? And like lots of big ideas are outlandish, but it takes someone believing they're actually possible to make them happen. And I don't don't know, then I got very like idealistic and (laughs) I don't know. Did it work on anyone else? (laughs) I always wonder why the parent doesn't just get on their local school board. (laughs) or become a principal. <laughs> That's such a because brilliant Because as much point. as these charter schools are like, we will serve anyone. Like I said, for the first four years, like 2016 till 2020, I was at like a very low income school in Orlando. And a lot of those parents, so they have magnet programs in Orlando. And a lot of the families that had it together and were like valued education and were there for their kids, they would fill out the forms to get them to magnet schools that maybe had like more fine arts or more um, language, you know, just other programs that we didn't have at my school because it was, it was struggling. So the charter schools, even though they take anyone or be on a lottery system or whatever, usually, at least here in Florida, that's how they usually are. It's still the parents that are already putting in the effort. So I feel like you're not necessarily hitting the kids that are most in need because you're getting those parents that have already taken the steps to find the charter school. Gosh, that's a good point. Yeah. Now I'm really thinking, in that last scene on Mr. Knight's front porch, they're selling it to him as being like, we want to have very small, you know, student teacher ratio, like, like three, was it three or four kids per teacher? Caleb? Four to the, one, they said. Four, four to, yeah. So Although four. I also think she got it backwards. She said, we want the, the faculty to student ratio <laughs> to be four to one. That said, would be something. That's impractical. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Probably great for the kids. (laughs) Well, I just was like, my God, the expense of that. Like, I mean, how many teachers are they hiring? Did they say ever how many students they were imagining they would admit the first year? Not that I remember, at least thus far. I did read in this article I looked up on Ed Week. It said, charter schools do not draw students from an assigned area. Families choose to send their children to them. If demand for enrollment in a charter school exceeds space, students are usually picked by a random lottery, just like Meredith had said. Oh, yeah. Most of them here, like within the, it seems like in order to open, they have to have, because they're receiving public funds, they can't just flat, like deny people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it has to be more of a system of like, okay, a hundred people want in and we have 75 slots. So it's like a lottery system, you know, Mm. to get into the schools. Minus there's a couple charter schools that really truly are for children with special needs. And then they take into consideration the children's needs. And especially if the 
need that the school is meeting is something like what Adam and Christina are doing. It's conditions that kids are born with. It's not an interest they have like the arts or something. To do that by lottery almost feels (laughs) inhumane or something. It makes it almost more sad. You're like, so then you've really provided an awesome space that you could only do it for 50 kids. Yeah, Yeah. like, oh, you're the 51st autistic student who fell through the cracks. Sorry, stay in the crack. Oh, no. I guess this just all is kind of what Mr. Knight was telling them. Like, it seems like if you could know that you would avoid every potential pitfall (laughs) and do this flawlessly... It could be a wonderful idea, but man, it does sound like there's lots of pitfalls that have nothing to do with how good your intentions are. Right. I think that's what they keep sort of vaguely referring to as red tape. You know, they just, (laughs) any potential issue, they just called that. But then Mr. Knight comes along and I think sort of at least starts to give some context to that phrase. And Meredith, you're making me realize I really want to ask you this question they are wanting to set this school up for the next school year. And this is like episode 16, 16, which means that we are in the second semester. Right. They want to open in August or September. I'm not sure which month California opens. We open in August. Right. What do you think about that? Like this strikes me as something that they should be preparing for, for like, a year and and some change, you know? Like- I would think it would take longer than that. But again, if you're like a charter-friendly state, I believe that you like put forth, you know, your like mission as a school and you have to show that you have, you know, different things. And then you just get approved by either the state or your school board. Wow. So then I would guess you probably would just have to have it in. I would think when they finalize like budget, like end of June, you know, like when they finalize school budgets and the county's finalizing their budget plan for the next year. Okay. Wow, that's a big undertaking. I'm so tired. To just, just pull together that fast. Oh my God, the, why don't they run for the school board? The show is so extra. I'm going to run for mayor and I'm going to open a school. Like, <laughs> I guess I guess Christina runs for school board is like the Christina sends an email version of the show. It's just very like realistic. So practical and, yeah, and realistic. What that people it, would do. No one would watch it. I guess Maybe. so. I probably Yeah, would. I guess if she just like, had an advocate and showed up to the IEP meeting with a lawyer, it's not as exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Good point. Well, I wanted to say my takeaway from the scene with Christina and Adam, you know, before they went to bed was, had nothing to do with education. So I didn't want to bring my opinion up until, are are we ready for it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just thought this was one of Adam's like healthiest moments Ever. I thought it was so cute the way he sort of just playfully teased her about her little. I mean, it was pretty obvious, I think, that she found <laughs> Mr. Knight attractive. <laughs> but also, I'm like, boy, that shows real security. Like, I don't think he brought it up to be passive aggressive or to be jealous. I really thought he found it like amusing and was truly so confident about their relationship that he was able to like gently tease her. I didn't think it was mean spirited. I found the whole scene delightful. And I thought that is a good 
like that is a marriage that is in a good place, I think, to be able to do that. Um, so that was that was my takeaway, which really had no bearing on what. But I also really did like that he was like, don't let him talk you out of your good idea. Even though I was previously questioning whether or not it was a good idea. I'm like, it's nice that you believe in her. He, he wasn't so sure when she ran for mayor, but this time he is really That's being true. supportive. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I liked how he teased her too. And I thought she was so funny in that first scene oh my god i like to move my body too like yeah that was <laughs> that's my biggest lol of the episode and i actually have three of them written down but that's number one with a bullet so i might reveal my <laughs> other two as we as we keep going but well and then like i said they had kind of this second intertwining storyline which was her year checkup oh, yeah. and just seeing her back in a waiting room made me nervous yeah that would have to be so terrifying to return to hospitals and doctor's offices and waiting rooms when you're finally healthy again. Just like the threat of that. Yeah. And um, I know, Melissa, you said you had a little bit of an unexpected cry I at did. the end of this episode. Yeah. Well, buckle up. <laughs> what did he say? All clear. All clear. My blood work clear. is yep, good. Is, is spectacular. Um, clear is good. No tumors, no no yep. shadows, no um good, I'm good to go. I'm perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Good. It's good. You're stuck with me. Yeah. Honey. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. Come this. here, come here. <laughs> oh god. It's okay. You know, it's just seeing Gwen. Those women, I just I know. I just didn't want you to have to go through that again. I know. It's going to be a road, though. You know, it's going to be scan to scan every six months. We're going to have to uh -huh. keep doing this and keep on waiting for something bad to happen. Okay, we're not those people who are going to wait for something bad no. to happen, okay? No, we're, we're not. We're the people who are going to make things happen, right? Yeah. Come on. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. That was very sweet. It yeah. was. It was one of my favorite Adam Christina moments maybe ever. And I just was really taken aback by it because I don't know. I think maybe how scary waiting for those results would be. It didn't fully hit me until that moment, which is weird because we had Beth on Beth Kirkpatrick last season and she talked about her experience and she even talked about that term. Scan, what was it? Scanxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'd <laughs> never heard of before. And so I feel like she even made me aware of how scary this would be. But for some reason, maybe because I'd seen the show before and I knew she was fine. I'm like, this storyline was season four only uh, where she's done. You know, like I yeah. I was thinking that in my head and like, but no, for them, they're living it. They're worried. They don't know. And his reaction made me really get that. And I just thought how beautiful for him to, I don't know, care about her so much that when she makes this silly joke about you're stuck with me, he just bursts into tears. Yeah. And I, I had the same thought you did about it's not just a season four storyline. I thought this made the cancer storyline, yeah. which could have felt. And sometimes I think through no fault of the shows, it did feel like now we're going to be just as heavy and dramatic as we can be because we're doing a cancer storyline. <laughs> this, I think, helped ground it in some reality that it's not just something that, OK, we did that storyline. It was great. And now let's move on to future dramas. Yeah. Like, no, it would linger and it would keep coming up. And the fact that this is a year after season four ended, I thought accomplished that 
really well. Totally. And it does make sense. I've not had cancer, but I could see that you would get swept up in the day-to-day happenings of your life. Like right now, they're really wrapped up in this school they might start. And that's where her mind is until she's forced to think about, yeah, you know, your cancer could come back at any moment. And then suddenly you're going to have to focus on that and not on this other thing you're so excited about. Gosh, that would be such a roller coaster. Yeah, completely. Just thought that little scene was a good moment of a show doing a lot with a little. Yeah. So before we move on from this, I'm curious, Meredith, is there a way they could handle this storyline of the school going forward that you think would be realistic and good? You know what, as you were like, as we were talking about it, I was thinking, like, if I was just thinking as a parent, if I wasn't a teacher, just for my own kid, then I could see, like, a charter school being a great, perfect option. Um, having somebody in Florida, I've thought sometimes, like, well, I could open a charter school for, you know, these kids and do it the way I want. And then I thought, oh, but I'm robbing public funds for private usage, basically. <laughs> I felt like from the public schools, because it literally gets taken out of the tax of the public schools to pay for these charter schools. So, I mean, as a parent and thinking only as a parent, I think the storyline is like totally plausible and a perfectly acceptable way to fix the problem, you know, for your kid and some other friends of theirs, maybe that they've met in school. But as an educator, like you said, I worked, you know, I worked nine years in the public schools. I just would feel bad doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would want her more to, yeah, be like on the school board or, I don't know. We have a local parent here in Orlando that started like a nonprofit and is providing like education for public school teachers that would normally cost like a thousand to twelve thousand dollars on like better, you know, professional development on how to work with kids. And so she's like grown that exponentially super fast. So something like that would also be like a plausible, like, oh, I'm going to create this nonprofit that focuses only on educating teachers on the options they have for helping kids, you know. Oh my that, gosh. See, you just yeah. saying that. I'm like, I want to watch that storyline. Yeah. I want to watch Christina blaze this trail. I want to see Mr. Knight in like a faculty meeting leading a session on how to work with kids like Max because he, as we know, is getting his PhD in this. <laughs> and like, why don't they tap into his... And you know, is enchanting. Is enchanting, as the title tells us. So why doesn't he talk to teachers like Max's history teacher who was just sending him to the library. You know, like if the principal knows because the Bravermans are quite, you know, vocal, which good for them. They're they're standing up for their kid. But it's been brought to the principal's attention. He knows. So if, if, if the Bravermans could be like, okay, this guy is doing it well, could the principal be like, let's have him lead a session. Let's talk about some strategies that could be really effective. This blow my mind. I mean, theoretically, they work together, these two people. It's just that the show doesn't really make it feel like that. It feels like totally separate experiences. But if we're to believe that this is a real functioning school, this guy's got expertise and good for him, but he's sort of just the only one who has it and he could be sharing it with his coworkers. Yeah. Yeah, I think with public schools, parents often forget like they're always like, well, the school made this choice as if they have no input value in the system. But like I said, the school board is voted on by parents. The school board has a lot of control as far as the curriculum and standards and things that are happening in your local school. 
So like petitioning them to provide professional development on how to better meet the needs of students and the federal laws state really clearly the amount of accommodations that any student with special needs is supposed to get. I just feel like there's ways to fix the public school versus just like starting a charter one that would, like we said, that would only meet, even in the best cases can only serve the number that you can fit and only the parents that are, have the abilities to get their kids in. Yeah. Now, you mentioned at the top of our podcast that you had taught kids with autism. Yeah. Have you seen, in your experience, students like Max who are sort of too high functioning to be in certain schools or classrooms for kids with autism, but not completely a natural fit for mainstream? I was thinking about that as we came on because it's like a pet peeve of mine, like being someone from the exceptional education like background is that I think sometimes they portray people that don't really possess like the skill set that someone would really have. You know what I mean? Like not every person with autism is like a savant or super Mm. intelligent. You know, there are, it's a spectrum, obviously. So I don't know how many kids would really fall in that gap of needing like that much social and adaptive support and also have those academic abilities. I'm sure there are some. And if you're in a busier area, you would have a school's worth. It's hard to say. I always worked with students more like K through fourth grade when I was working with students with autism. Mm. And I do remember when I worked with students that were younger, they would always say, you know, most students with autism do have typical IQs and typical abilities to understand like academic things. So it was always fun working with the younger students because you had, I was like, don't put them in a box. Don't limit what they can do. Because once they could learn those communication skills, it was always amazing how much they could learn and take off. But it did make me wonder when I watched this episode, like how many kids really need like that adaptive of an environment? And I mean, that's like a whole nother question. And is that even the best, most beneficial for them? Are they going to be able to find jobs that are that adaptive in their environment? Or do they need to really learn more coping skills? Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Every guest we've had on who knows more about autism than we do, which and we know nothing. Or I should speak for myself. I know nothing. (laughs) I don't know much. They've all said versions of if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Right. And that being the case, how do you even start a school for kids on a specific point on that spectrum? Because almost by definition, that's going to then be excluding the rest of the spectrum. Right. (laughs) It is a very like, that's a small target, I would think. Yeah. I do think parents would drive. I mean, I think it's a very valid thing. Like if you started yeah. it, people would come for that for sure. Yeah, definitely noble effort. And I, and it would be so frustrating, I can imagine, if you were the parents of a child like that. Like, well, where does he fit? I just want to set him up as best as I can and give him the best chance to fulfill all that he can. Yeah. Right. And you know what? I can definitely, I guess I could have mentioned this earlier. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia, like in first grade seven or six or whatever, and received services for like reading and and things through elementary school. But then through middle and high school, I was in like advanced or or higher academic classes. And when you said that, it like hit a nerve because I remember one teacher telling me like, I've never had a student with dyslexia in like my advanced class. And I remember even being 15 or 16 being like, there's no way in hell I'm not that special. (laughs) I was like, I was joking. If you know my mom, you're like, she's not one to like overinflate our. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not that special. I'm not one in in a 20 years teaching career. You definitely have had other kids with dyslexia and you did nothing to help them. I remember thinking that and being like really pissed. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I can emphasize with the parents in this episode where, yeah, if you don't have a kid that kind of fits into the typical mold of what this school's going to offer, it, it's tricky. Yeah. Boy, I really hate that that teacher said that to you too, because I think there is this weird myth. Like, like I remember somebody once said to me, since I teach um, advanced placement literature as one of the classes I teach, I remember mm-hmm. somebody being like, oh, don't you just love teaching the smart kids? And I felt really oh. weird about that because on the one hand, it it is a wonderful class to teach. And I, I do love that they're smart, but I think more than that, I love that they're engaged and that they're passionate and that they like work hard and they, they care. And part of the reason for all of that is because for most of them, school has been like a really positive place for them. Like how I imagine it was a really positive place for Hattie, um, who, you know, the show is forgotten about, but she, <laughs> you know, she was in AP classes. I remember that detail because I, I teach them. And I didn't like that phrase because I think it made it seem like it must mean that I don't like teaching kids who aren't naturally smart or something. And I'm like, I, I like, I like teaching full stop and and I want to try to help everyone who comes to me. And I also think it's really like dangerous thinking to label kids as smart or not smart because I think pretty much everyone is capable of learning. And so anyway, just like there's a lot of snobbishness is what I'm trying to say. And I think that teacher telling you that they'd never had a student with dyslexia in their advanced class before shows that snobbishness of what people's preconceived notion of what smart looks like. And lots of smart people have dyslexia, you know, like, and, and this idea that people think only a certain group would have learning disabilities. I don't know. The whole thing feels really gross and it makes me angry about why some people like teach they they shouldn't. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So I have to say, this all makes the storyline way more compelling to me than it was. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Meredith, I was you're like, oh, here we go with the school yeah. storyline. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, there's. Now you're considering opening a charter school, aren't you? You're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not that hard. How hard can well, it people be? People exactly like me and no one else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but truly, Meredith, I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared all this because, I mean, I'm. I don't know that much about charter schools. I really don't. I, I I know some, and I know that my, I know what my sort of general feeling is about them, but I'm like, but why? I don't even know if I know enough for that to justify how I feel. So it was really illuminating to hear you talk about it. I learned oh, a lot. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's funny. The bulk of my experience with charter schools are friends I know from Florida oh. who went to yeah. arts <laughs> charter schools. Yeah. And they would always say, oh, yeah, I went to a charter school. And I would always nod like I knew what it was, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Love it. Well, moving on to a less compelling storyline, in my opinion, (laughs) Drew and Amber. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I will say Amber was a total hoot. A hoot. And I love that Berta was sort of instantly into her. (laughs) Just means he's got good taste because she's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Although it is funny to me that like sometimes she has this wild streak in her where she's like drinking out of a flask, <laughs> riding in fast cars with dangerous men. And then other times she's doing crosswords and knitting at her grandparents and then being like, oh, the party starts at 10. Let's take a nap first. I'm like, How old are you? 
But I have to decide. I really. Okay, that's funny because having not watched the show, when she said that, I was like, "How old is she supposed to be?" I was trying to remember because I was like, "I'm confused." I. She's 21. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) she's a kid. I think maybe the show just wants to convey that she's an old soul with a wild streak. Like, you know, we contain multitudes. Um, I guess. But I really, I loved that line about like dinner at 530 and then we'll just walk over to the party because that's exactly what I was thinking, a 41 year old. And then I was like, oh, that's great. I don't know. I really enjoyed that. I, I I felt really zinged um, because a 1030 party sounds horrific to me, like torture. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one thing I did want to point out in this storyline is something that I noticed in a lot of the storylines. So let me just backtrack a little bit to what we've covered thus far. Okay. In the Sarah and Hank storyline, I feel like he came to her with that, I notice a pattern. And she set a boundary. She said, I didn't ask you to observe this about me and I don't have to listen to you. Get out. (laughs) And then she went right back to him anyway. So she didn't really follow through with it. And then Adam and Christina went to Mr. Knight and they said, we want to start this school. And he sort of laid down, not a boundary, but a a caveat. Yeah, maybe. And said, think about what you're doing. And then they did and they went ahead with it anyway. (laughs) And I, I started to notice that happening in lots of storylines, and I feel like it happened in this scene between Drew and Natalie. Natalie, hey. Wow, you emerged. Yeah, you hear about the party tonight? Yeah, I live on this campus. I heard about the party tonight. Okay, well, I was just gonna see if you're going. um, I don't know, maybe you wanna go together? You wanna go to a frat party with me? Yes, I know that it's weird. My sister and I, we made this plan to go, so I was Mm -hmm. gonna see. I don't get you, Drew. I don't. Like, at first, you're like, I like you. I want a relationship. And then your ex-girlfriend comes and basically oh, lives with you, I, which is that was, so, kind so that of was a, really well, weird, It was a special man. circumstance. But... And then you disappear for, like, three weeks. Now you suddenly emerge. You pretend like nothing ever happened, and you want to take me to a frat party, which I'm pretty sure is the last place you said you ever wanted to be seen I with know. me. So, yeah. No. No, I don't want to go to a frat party with you. Well, Okay, because I said I wanted a relationship. You said you wanted to be friends, which is what I'm trying to do. Right. I gotta go. I have class. Okay. This felt frustratingly real to me. Like, Drew asking for the opposite of what he said. But we've seen everything through his eyes, so I feel like it made sense why he's come back around to this place and had that change of heart. But it's like, Natalie's right about what she calls him on. But then he's right, too, that she has also completely flip-flopped. Yeah. And I just thought, ah, kids. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I just, to me, this storyline paled to the others. And it kind of made me wonder if one of the challenges of doing a show like Parenthood is that it has all these characters of different ages. And the stories that center around Drew, a freshman in college, need to be young adult stories. Mm -hmm. But then I'm over here with the like woman one year cancer free and the grandparents (laughs) trying to sell their house and these things that to me just feel like, oh my gosh, these stakes are so much bigger. There's so much more invested in these decisions that we get to the like, oh, will the 19 year old work things out (laughs) with this girl he's known for a few months? Like, I don't care. Which is not to say it isn't well done and they all act it well, but uh, it's like, eh, come on, next. 
I'm realizing that Sarah and her kids are really only capable of having relationship storylines. <laughs> it's really wild. Like there's nothing else going on with any of them. Cause I'm realizing there are a lot of interesting things about being a freshman. Like in fact, if we were in his ex-girlfriend Amy's POV instead of Drew's, this would be a fascinating year of college because yeah. she like moved away and then got really depressed, moved back, tried to live with her ex for like a couple weeks and then had to, like, you know, like that she's just gone through a journey. And I'm like, Drew's just had a will they, won't they that frankly, I don't care about. And I'm like, is he struggling with his classes? What classes is he taking? We said it at the beginning of the semester or you know, at the beginning of the season. I don't remember anymore. Let's watch him write yeah, a what's paper. What's his major? Yeah. Like, what is he into? Baseball? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know anything except Natalie. And it's not. Floppy hair. Yeah. Yeah. He looks great, but it's not that compelling. And so having said all that, what I wrote in my note exactly was I am here for this pointless storyline and their pinky kiss. Um, because <laughs> I just thought, I don't care. This is delightful. Like just the two siblings being super cute together. And it was very funny and light. I enjoyed it. But now that we're talking about it, I do wish that Drew had more to do. And Amber too. Like, like they're all just mooning over people. <laughs> And yeah. that's all they do. Meredith, have you ever gone to a frat party with one of your brothers? No, definitely not. <laughs> I didn't think so. Have any of you ever been to a frat party at all? No, I didn't do any frat parties. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I don't know how I made it through FSU without frat parties. Because <laughs> you're smart. <laughs> that's maybe not nice of me to say, but... This whatever. could really seem so snobby, so I've apologies ahead of time but I do remember once when I was in college a guy sort of like hit on me I guess but his his line was basically like hi I play football here I'm in a fraternity and I thought Ugh. I thought you do not know your audience yeah, <laughs> not not into either of those things although I think I could be but not as selling points like it would be more right. like oh Melissa learns a valuable lesson about like people have layers and look I do like this football player who's in a fraternity despite the odds but I'm like no I don't like a guy who comes up to you and says hi I, you know like that's nope that's not gonna be the I'm guy I'm getting my PhD at Berkeley yeah is that the same like I mean is it is that comparable I I think similar yeah I think about the same it's just what you what they value <laughs> you know okay here's an example yesterday one of my students who I don't really know yet she came to visit like during in services she just wanted to meet her teachers I was very excited like how adorable is that but anyway it was really cute she's like I'm going to be in your creative writing class and I said wonderful and she was like I just I really love poetry and I was wondering will we be reading any poetry and I just said yes I love poetry and see some people might take that opportunity to be like well do you know who you're talking to? I've written books and I've been published and I'm a poet, blah, blah, blah. And I did not say that. I just said, yes, I love poetry. Like, do you know what I mean? And, you know, maybe eventually she'll find out those things about me, but it would have felt really gross to then like just center myself and like take away from her excitement about poetry and just, you know, like answer her question and not like give a bunch of, I don't know, like a bunch of shout outs to me. And <laughs> so I, I think that's why I don't like it. I think that it feels a little showy or something like, 
Like, just let people naturally find out. Like, maybe I would have felt differently about Mr. Knight saying that if, like, he said, you know, well, I've been reading about this. And they'd be like, well, how do you know that's a good that's a good strategy. And he'd be like, well, I'm actually, that's when you say I'm actually getting my PhD and that's where I've learned it. And then, you know, like, yeah, not the point of anything. I don't know. Caleb, do you just say like, I'm on Broadway to people all the time? Like, do you just, do do you know what I'm saying? I do not. (laughs) Probably for the same reasons when like people ask what I do, I just say I'm a musician because it feels weird to say, and that's the truth. And you know, especially now when I don't have like a full-time job on a mm-hmm. show on most days, I don't work on Broadway, <laughs> you know? So it's like, well, but when you do have a full-time job again, will you still say I'm a musician or will you say, actually, I, yeah, I would say that. And then if they say, like, Oh, what kind, what do you do? Well, then, then I would say it's yeah. my job, but I'm so I'm preoccupied by realizing I have been to frat parties. Oh, um, but but here's the here's the uh, asterisk on that because at NYU frats are not the same as they are at most schools because no frat could like afford real estate. Mm. So NYU puts the frats in specific dorms, oh. but they're not exclusively frat dorms. So my junior year. When I was in the Lafayette dorm in Chinatown, that was one of the like Greek dorms. So there were whole floors that were frats and I would go to parties there. So technically, I guess those were frat parties, but I'm like, well, I'm just right. going upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> you know. More like a dorm party. Yeah. Right. Well, so, you know, if we're lame frats. If we're looking at things this way, I was in a fraternity because I was in an academic fraternity. Like I was in uh. <laughs> Sigma Tau Delta, which is like an English society. Uh, but that doesn't count. <laughs> Our parties are not like regular frat parties. <laughs> <laughs> There's no watermelon luge, you know. <laughs> which, by the way, did you notice that fun payoff where Birdo was telling them about the party and he says there's a watermelon luge and I was like I don't know what that is and then the first shot inside the party is of the watermelon luge and I'm like oh that's what that is I did not notice that (laughs) I I had no idea what it was I was picturing people luging but instead the alcohol luges off the watermelon into people's mouths Mm. so dear diary today I learned (laughs) (laughs) So running with this theme of like people setting their boundaries and ignoring them, Mm -hmm. Natalie just goes to the frat party anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And then this happened also in the storyline with Crosby and the rents. (laughs) Crosby and his parents. Okay. First of all, just to set up a few random observations, Jasmine says she's sleep deprived, which I believe. And yet I'm like, you don't look sleep deprived. No. You look like a professional actress in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're stunningly beautiful. Secondly, I could feel Melissa's head explode (laughs) when Crosby called Camille and Karen two crazy women. It did. It exploded right out, right off my neck. Yeah. (laughs) In all fairness, though, on my second watch, I noticed that Jasmine called Crosby crazy just like three lines earlier. (laughs) Yeah. Except that I actually thought Crosby was being (laughs) kind of crazy. So it just didn't catch my ear the same way. You know, I... I want to judge Crosby for his feelings, and I sh- and I do. <laughs> but he, I feel like he's not entirely wrong. 
Like Zeke clearly doesn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And it would be hard to watch someone do something they didn't believe was right. Yeah. But I feel like, but Crosby, you already brought it up and Zeke explained himself. Yeah. And I feel like he's explained himself pretty well. Yeah. And then as Jasmine says, they are guests in their house. It is not their business. Zeke is a big boy and he can handle this. So I feel like Crosby asked and answered. Yeah. I, I get that you don't like it, but you already brought it up. And the guy that it actually affects is handling it the way he wants to. Yeah. It's your time to butt out. Instead, he doesn't. <laughs> he calls his mom selfish and she lays the smack down on him draws her own boundary. I don't want you and your buddy Karen to steamroll dad. What? It's a mutual decision. It is not mutual. I talked to him. He doesn't want to sell this place. You position this so it's a choice between you and the house. Of course he's y- going to pick you. You know what, Crosby? Um, this is between me and your father, and uh, I just really don't want to get into okay, it with well, you. Well, if he's not going to stick up for himself, then someone has to. Yeah, and who's going to stand up for me? Nobody's standing up for me. You don't need anyone to stand up for you. You're the one that's trying to sell this house out from under the entire family. We have an attachment to this place. It's very selfish. Selfish? Yes, I think this action is selfish. Okay, let me put this into some perspective for you. I spent over 30 years of my life taking care of four kids, some of whom are still living in my house and coming home for lunch. And I spent most of my adult life compromising myself and what I want for your father. I've always put myself second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth. I've cooked your dinners. I have packed you school lunches. I have driven you to play dates and practice and done your laundry well past when I should have. And now when I assert one thing that I want, one thing, you and your dad and everyone else can't take it. So that's selfish. Excuse me. I actually think when he calls her selfish, that is that is the official moment that my head exploded. I think that that was... I thought that was a horrific thing for him to say. But obviously, yeah, it would be really hard. And I did wonder, like, do the other kids know that they're selling the house? I don't know. I did think he has to carry all the weight of this. You know, it would be interesting to know what the others think, because I'm sure it's hard for all of them. But I think Crosby just gets to, like, have his feelings be unchecked right now. Um, I mean, Jasmine is checking them, but I feel like if the other siblings were like, this is not your place, you know, it will be hard for us, but it's their decision. And maybe they would even point out to him, you're you're accusing mom of steamrolling dad? <laughs> like, this is literally the first time she's ever won anything in their entire relationship. Like, and you're not letting her have that? So, I don't know. Those yeah. Are, yeah. It really reminded me of something you said either last episode or a few episodes ago about people getting into habits. Mm. You were talking about Joel and Julia and how they establish a dynamic where she makes a decision, he voices a different opinion, and then she just steamrolls him and waits for him to get over it. Yeah. And once one of them doesn't continue that pattern, it throws everything off and the other one doesn't know how to deal. And I thought, that is so what's happening here. I mean, Camille says that flat out. 
If she had been doing this her whole marriage, no one would be alarmed by it now. Oh, mom's being assertive again. Yeah. Yeah. Like she always is, but she's never done that. And so when she does it, it's like, what's wrong with Camille? Yeah. She's going nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Hearing that conversation first, I sometimes get tired of women being like, I spent my whole and now she's an older character, like a kind of a slightly older generation, a little bit more. I mean, I'm I'm almost 40. I have two kids, but I'm I stayed home four years with my kids. And I still would say, yeah, there's definite like career and decisions that I'm not doing because of like I want to have time with them and commit to them. So I hope in like 10, 15 years, I'm not like I gave up stuff for you. Well, yeah. I hope that I would own the decision of like, yeah, there were opportunities and things that I didn't do because I had kids and that was my choice to have kids. Yeah. But on that caveat now, like I stay home four years with my kids when they were younger and my husband was starting a business, but we both were like, he was like, you're staying home so that I can work 12 hour days on this business. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then, yeah. he was, you know, he was like, now you like, I want to go back to work. He's like, yeah, you can with, you know, we kind of joke that the business was like the third baby so I just but you can't always own all your life decisions I guess I feel like that's a narrative lot a lot with like older women that they're like oh I gave and I I guess I kind of wish we could stop saying like you gave up some for the kids like you had a family and that's good like what I mean I don't know I guess be happy with that choice I don't know what bugs me about it I guess you just hear it a lot yeah that makes sense because it's not like Although I think what feels different about what you just described is that it sounds like you and your husband were always making decisions together. Right. Yeah. And like you pointed out, like that she's of a slightly older generation. I think she was maybe always steamrolled by him. Like that that was just what she was expected to do. Although this brings up a topic I frequently address. Would this happen in Berkeley? (laughs) Like the most progressive place. Her kids are not, I mean, she's not that old. Like the sixties would have already happened when she started having kids. Yeah. And, and women's lib would have been like at its height in Berkeley. If she did not want to stay home, I feel like she would have been well positioned to assert that. Whereas, like, if this show were taking place in middle America, I might more buy that a woman found herself in the situation and felt like, I never actually chose this, did I? I just was pushed into it. Not that that can't happen anywhere, but... I think the way I see it is that I think Camille is mostly happy with how her life has gone. But then I think if Crosby calls her selfish she'll lose her mind at him because she then she's resentful. You know, it's like yeah. sacrifice doesn't have to have this negative connotation. It can be a beautiful thing. I, I, I gave up something, but I got something. It's like a trade-off is what it is. But if in that moment, one of the people you did give up things for isn't giving you anything in return by saying, you know, I really appreciated how hard you worked all those years and good for you. Like you never get what you want. And I see that. And so this is awesome. How can I help? I think if Crosby had given that speech, (laughs) then she'd be like, I'm so glad that I devoted all this time (laughs) to raising these beautiful children. Like, you know, I think that's maybe where she's coming from. And that's, I don't know. That's, that's my guess because I think 
it probably feels really good when it does feel like it was something of a choice. But when it feels like, yeah, of course you stayed home. That's what you do. Then you'd feel taken for granted. And I think that's where she's been the whole series is just trying not to feel taken for granted. And then we add in the fact that like Zeke had an affair for, you know, all that time. And, and she must've felt differently than like you and I feel about like working or not working or choosing to have kids, choosing not to have kids. And in my case, I think that we're able to own those decisions, but I don't know if she can. I don't know how many of them were her decisions. That is, that is, yeah, well. It also makes me think, I had this like kind of half-baked idea, but this makes me think I should air it. Camille kind of strikes me as the person, as a person who, if she wasn't able to assert herself just directly, she'd find other ways yeah. of <laughs> of sort of manipulating or navigating certain <laughs> circumstances to try and have things end up her way. And it that's something that strikes me as a very feminine way of handling things. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me think, why does she do that? Because she's operating within a relationship in which those habits are so ingrained that the only way she's probably able to get things she wants sometimes is to kind of be a puppet master and pull some strings. She can't do it directly because Zeke will just come back at her with so much more force and shoot it down. And that to me feels like a dynamic of long marriages that I certainly don't understand, but how you, you find yourself trapped in patterns and and it's like even if you want to handle it a different way you know like just like her going to europe i think she realized the only way i'm going to be able to do this is if i just do it yeah i'm sure that's not how she wanted to do it i know that's not how she wanted to do it but how how long can you be pushed before you just go okay if i can't get it this way i'm going to get it some other way does that make any sense oh totally okay no that makes sense yeah Well, now I'm wondering, I don't think so, but is it possible that on some level she thought the only way I'm going to get Zeke to agree to sell this house is if I start leaving the house to go to Europe on these trips? And, you know, like, was she like a real puppet? Like, was she just like an evil genius thinking 20 steps ahead and and this was endgame or was endgame for her really just, well, I'm going to travel I, I'm not getting one thing I want. I'll at least get this. And then Camille just, should have gone with Carl. Sorry, I just <laughs> yeah. She would love to paint all the things in you Africa. Paint in Zimbabwe. That's right. That's true. We won't actually name any of them because we don't know. But <laughs> we'll just say. But yeah, I think. I mean, I remember wondering that when it first started. Like, is is it a ploy? Like, oh, you like the house so much? Take care of it by yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that was her plan all along, but no. it did kind of work. <laughs> I think that's definitely probably a mom plan. I think any mom that's had to clean and cook and be unseen is definitely like, yeah, sure, just do it yourself for a little while. You'll see how much I did. Yeah. <laughs> Can definitely relate to that. Yeah. I, I did want to add that Crosby in that scene, I thought just continues to be kind of terrible this season. I I know I said his feelings are valid. and I do think they are. But I don't quite understand what claim he feels he has to the house anymore. It's not his house. It's his parents' house. Like, I loved the house I grew up in, and I wish it could have been ours forever. 
but that's not how circumstances unfolded and it wasn't mine. Get over yourself. Grow up. I having said all that, because I totally agree. I think he's his worst self this season. And yeah, ugh. but a moment that reminded me of the Crosby that I love. And I was like, oh, look at that. A glimmer, a spark when they're overhearing Zeke and Camille's conversation through that vent. This was my maybe second LOL of the episode, which was when he was like, they're, they're saying that I'm the most selfish person in the family. Clearly it's Sarah. And that was funny enough, but really it was, Ooh, okay. sorry. I'm just like acting it out for you. <laughs> it was when you overheard um, Camille say something like, well, at least Crosby's only staying for a little while and not years and years like Sarah did. And Crosby's face where he's like, ooh, that's harsh. Glad Sarah didn't hear that. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I really loved it. And I thought as mad as I can get at him, he's still pretty charming when he wants to be. Yeah. Well, in keeping with this theme, Camille set a real boundary there. Don't call me selfish. I'm going to do what I want with my house. But then backtracks in a way. But in hers, I thought it was a really lovely and in a way predictable way. Melissa, when you were saying that you think most of the time she is happy with her life and the way it went, I think this was a good example that when Crosby thinks, oh, the way I can solve this problem is... I need to move my family out. He is told that he's completely wrong. We have some good news. We um, found a condo to sublet, so mm -hmm. we'll be getting out of your hair on Sunday. Thank you for everything, for your hospitality and opening your home. We know that it's been really crazy for both of you around here. What? You're leaving? Why? We guys have a lot going on around here. We thought it would just be helpful, yeah. better, you know. Well, I thought you couldn't afford it. We got a pretty good deal, actually. It's like a friend of a friend type of a... And it's only for a m another month, maybe. Yeah. So. I don't know why you wouldn't stay here. I mean, why would you stay in the stranger's house? Well, look, we, we just... We don't want to be in anyone's way. and You're not in anyone's way. Absolutely not. And uh, you're not moving out. This is your home as long as you need it to be. And I won't have it any other way. So, settled. I mean, in a way, I almost don't buy that Crosby wouldn't have known that. I'm not a parent, and but that feels like such an obvious parent thing. Like, yeah, I want to get rid of the house, but as long as I have it and you need it, I am happy to have you stay here, and I want that for you. I don't want you calling me selfish in the kitchen, but it's your behavior that I'm objecting to, not your presence. Yes. I don't think she minded doing his laundry. <laughs> I think she minds being called selfish after knowing she did his laundry. Then it's like, yeah. how dare you? <laughs> like, I think. But yeah, good point. Before we move on from the, like, we have got to mention that Caleb and I just learned that the actress who plays Karen is married <laughs> to Ryder Strong in real life, who was Sean Hunter on Boy Meets World. They've been together a really long time. I don't know if anyone else finds Indeed. that interesting. Alexandra Barreto. They've been married since 2013. And they were a couple for years before that, apparently. And it's like, nice. But it's very ironic because here's how I found out. I wasn't looking her up. I was looking up Ryder Strong because I just learned about the Boy Meets World podcast, which is very good. Um, I'm really into it. <laughs> and it made me curious about it's um, 
it's him and it's Will Friedle who played uh, Eric and it's <laughs> Danielle Fischel who played Topanga. I, people are like, what are you doing? Why are you promoting another podcast? Why are you talking about Boy Meets World? Let me have this. Um, anyway, so I just was really enjoying it. And so I looked them all up. I'm like, God, they're like my age. It's weird. And I was like, I wonder if they're married. And so I looked up all their spouses and I saw a picture of his spouse. And I was like, I could swear that that is Karen on the episodes that we are currently watching for this podcast. I'm like, it wasn't even, it wasn't like he was married to Zoe from seasons ago. I'm like, this is wild. Where did that? So I thought it was really funny that I found out by looking up him and not her. Anyway, whatever. That's, I had to say it. I had to. <laughs> All right. So the last boundary that gets set, I mean, it's, I think might be the first one in the episode, but the last one that we're going to talk about is Julia with Ed. Listen, I, uh, I heard that Joel moved out. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that with you. Okay. I just <clears throat> wanted you to know that I've been there. Listen, Ed? It's Green Week. We're going to be together. We're going to talk about vegetables and recycling and our crappy garden. And I'm not going to talk about my personal stuff with you. I can't be actual friends with you. Got it. Then she goes on to talk about vegetable plants, which did that wording <laughs> strike anyone else's ear as awkward? <laughs> it didn't, but now, now that you say I it. I guess they had to figure out some way to point out that she didn't mean just vegetables, but like the whole plant to fool the kids. Yeah. Anyway, I bought $200 worth of vegetable plants. (laughs) What? Yeah. Anyway, that was just her first boundary. Then I felt like she kind of set a second one with him when he came to her house. Hi. What are you doing here? Um, well, I tried to talk to her at the school, but you didn't really let me, but that's okay. Um, I just wanted to say that I know what you're going through right now, and I'm sorry. And it's really hard, especially the first few weeks. And if you need anything at all... Seriously? What? You're, you're seriously, you're coming here at night to my house to see if I need anything to, ask, to say you're sorry? Yeah. Did it ever occur to you that this is your fault? Uh, not really. You're the reason Joel left. I told him what happened, and he left. And now we're shuttling our kids back and forth with these little roller suitcases, and I'm here in this big house alone by myself half the time, and the man that I've been in love with for 12 years can hardly look me in the face. So I don't really want to have a nice chat about it with you. Thanks, anyway. I really, I just wish I'd never met you. Okay, look, I'm sorry for coming by, and I'm sorry for whatever part I played in this but if you honestly think that I'm the sole reason why you and Joel are having problems, then you're just kidding yourself. And if you really want your marriage back, you're going to have to dig a little deeper. He's right. (laughs) He is. Although speaking of people who my opinion has changed from when I first watched it to this watch, Ed is very high up on that list. I used to think that he was charming and that he and Julia had great chemistry And those things are kind of still true, but now I think he's kind of a creep too. Wow. And this was kind of the final nail in the coffin. It's like, dude, she already told you she didn't want to talk about personal things with you. And I feel like in his mind, he probably thought, oh, she has her guard up, but I'm going to be persistent because I want to let her know that I'm there for her. Mm. Like, but she told you she didn't want you there for her. 
And then when she lashes out at him with something that is 90% the truth, like (laughs) he lashes back again with the truth, Mm. but on a topic that he has no business confronting her about, I feel like. Like, Oh, that's a good point. Julia does not need you of all people to tell her what's wrong with her marriage, even if you are right. I kind of felt. No, I think (laughs) I I just seem dickish. Like, what a dick. (laughs) Like, why are you even there? She doesn't want to talk to you about this. I think you're right because it's weird. I just kind of, I actually wrote in my notes that this episode was the most I ever liked it, (laughs) (laughs) which is really funny. I wrote, um, you know, maybe you've just finally convinced me enough about (laughs) Hank and Ed after all this time. You're like, like, you know, she's right about everything. Oh my gosh. No, I but you're you're so right that she was very clear earlier and I don't think it makes any sense for him to then go over there. But one thing I did think is that this scene was weirdly such an inverse of the scene when she goes to Ed's house, which is where they kissed in the first place. She yeah. goes over there mainly to ask, is this my fault that your wife moved out? And this is like the opposite where he goes over to her house and doesn't think it's his fault. And she's like, this is your fault. And I'm like, that's so weird that she was like self-aware enough to ask him if it was her fault. And he reassured her and said, no, our marriage had a lot of other problems. And then now she just kind of wants to be like, no, this is all his fault. This is all because of this, this relationship that we've struck up. That was the only thing that bugged me about what she said was that she was like, you are the reason he left. I'm like, well, he wasn't talking to himself. Like he wasn't, he wasn't starting a relationship with himself. If she said like our relationship or me talking with you is the reason he left or me kissing you is the reason that would have made more sense. That's interesting. Good point. But then she like totally blamed him that I feel like, of course, he's going to be like, are you stupid? It's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it does take two. But I kind of, you make a good point because I think he might have at that time, like when his marriage was crumbling, realized that sooner than she is now when her marriage is like in the process of crumbling. Yeah. And she maybe is still naive enough to think, yeah, it was just this one thing. Now, I think she's kind of right that he was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. That is true. But Meredith, you make the very good point. It's not Ed by himself. That was the problem. It was him and Julia. Right. You know, I think one of the things that kind of broke my heart was that very first clip you played from this storyline where she's like, nope, nope, I'm not going to talk about that with you. I thought, whew, if that had been her attitude from the start. Yeah. But I didn't even say that like blaming her because I thought, well, why would she have been so on her guard at the start? She didn't know. And so it's only because of hindsight that she's able to say, no, 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 we're not talking about that. But I thought, boy, maybe not that emphatic. But if she had just made a mental note, there are certain things that are not appropriate to discuss with this man. I don't know very well. It will make us far too close. Um, If we're going to be friends, it will be more casual than that because, you know, that's that's how that's going to go. Yeah. So I don't even say it in a blaming way, but I just really thought, boy, that's that's the ticket right there. And then he wouldn't have gone to her house because he would have barely known her, you know, (laughs) but (laughs) but he really shouldn't have gone to her house. But then she would go to his house sometime, you know, like I'm not saying that because she did it, it's okay for him to do it. But I am saying sometimes it's difficult 
to change the dynamic, as we've talked about. And they've kind of set this up that we kind of go talk about things in person. And he might have even wondered, oh, is she just saying I can't talk about this with you because we're in public? And now I, I should just go over there when it's not in public and then it'll be okay. Yeah. I go back and forth on him, though, because I, I kind of liked him a little bit more in this episode. And then at that very last scene, I was like, how do I feel about her going into his house? At this point, if I were her, maybe I would, too. I'd be like, well, Joel hates me, you know, <laughs> and I'd be like, we're he's moved out anyway. What do I have to preserve? Nothing. You know, like maybe that's how I would feel. Let's just get some comfort from the guy who makes me laugh. I'll go in, you know, but he knows that. And is he taking advantage or is he just a lonely, nice person? You tell me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, I largely hated it, too. Thank you for saving me with Sydney. No problem. And um, I want to apologize because, obviously, it's not your fault what Joel and I are going through. I've been realizing um, I am responsible for my own marriage. Hey. Don't beat yourself up about it. Marriage is hard. That's why it has such an awesome success rate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also know how much it sucks eating by yourself without the kids, and so I made you chicken marsala. It's cold now, but... Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I know you like it. I seriously hope this is farm to table because I can't eat it otherwise. Thank God Green Week is oh over. Oh my God. The environment is such a pain in the ass. It really, it really is. Thank you for this. This is truly, really, um, honestly, I haven't had a lot of good type feelings lately, so thanks. Unless. Did you want to come in? No. No, I'll go home. Thank you. Okay. I mean, there's plenty here for dinner. It's just dinner. <laughs> it's just dinner. Come on. Okay. No, don't do it, Julia. This is a mistake. I was not a fan of her going into dinner and I you know you raise valid points like maybe at this point what is wrong with it but I just feel like you know she's not wrong that he played a role yeah you know it wasn't solely his fault as he said there's nuggets of truth in everything they're saying she's definitely responsible for her own marriage but I kind of feel like she's taking the wrong lesson away from that mm. and her turnabout on Ed felt mushy to me like he saved her with Sydney. What from that one awkward exchange? <laughs> and and I don't know. I just feel like don't go back to the scene of the accident. Mm. Like move move on. Even if Ed was ever a viable option, it's so tarnished now. Can you not find this from anywhere else? And also, if I'm reading Julia correctly, she's still hung up on her husband. Like I yeah. and I. In a way, I think she's holding out hope. And they are only separated. I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like... I was trying to remember, like, how separated they were. Like, if you go inside, then that's it. You're done. Like, I feel right. like if you go in again, like, 
then you're separated, separated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, when she says it's just dinner, I mean, I, I guess I believe in this scene, yeah, they probably only ate dinner. It's not like, and then they slept together. I don't think they did, but I still feel like, but it's not just dinner. Like there's so much between you guys already. Yeah. That at this point, dinner is never just dinner. If it was, I think I'd feel differently about watching her walk through the door. Yeah. But I think it's too late. I just keep wondering if they have seen Harry Met Sally and what happens when men and women try to be friends. <laughs> I mean, it's a very famous movie. They should have seen it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that would have been it. Uh, I think what I was responding to is if I were Julia that's probably how I would feel. I would probably feel deflated and defeated and exhausted and like there's no hope with Joel and he is being kind of mean. Even though I, Melissa, keep defending Joel and being like, I, I see what led him to this place. If I were Julia, my feelings would be so hurt by how short he was with me and I would just feel sad. And I think if someone were being really kind to me, which I think is what kind of got them into this situation in the first place, but I think I'd be like, yeah, it's just dinner. What do I owe Joel? He's not doing, you know, he's, but that doesn't mean I, Melissa, think it's a good idea because I don't, I think it's a bad idea. And for all the reasons you said, I mean, I think, I think if she dated someone completely different right now, well, first of all, I don't think she should because she wants Joel back. And if you, you know, and, and even if, they don't get back together. I think give it a little time and just see what happens if that's really what you want to happen. But if she's like, no, this is too painful. Also, I think it's a good idea to be single for a while after major relationships break up. I, I, I'm always a little nervous when people sort of dull the pain of something ending by getting into something new. I don't mean to sound judgmental. It just makes me worried that people are not like emotionally ready for that. And yeah, especially something like this. It's not just a relationship that ended it's a marriage and your family. Yes. And I think you got to be ready for the next thing. And to be ready, I think you have to mourn. Yes. What you lost. And that's it. She's certainly not done with that process yet. And it's not even finished. No. Like we said, like, you're just separated. If you go in, it needs to be done. I, I don't know. Well, and I just think, yeah, someday she should date someone if they are really, truly broken up. But it probably should never be Ed. If <laughs> Like, I just worry that, like, the way they, they started, it yeah, tarnished is a good word. Like, I just think... Can you ever rise up out of the toxicity of all this and associating so much ugliness and the ends of both of your marriages happening because of like in part because of your friendship or at least during your friendship? Like, oh, that's hard. Yeah. And I know I've asked and I've posed the question before, like, does the way two people get together invalidate their relationship? Like if if people start cheating and then fall in love and leave their relationships or spouses and then get married. Is their marriage invalid forever because they got together in a bad way? And I don't think that. But I also think when you're right here in the moment, and you can be anyone in the world or Ed. If you can bring yourself to choose anyone else in the world, <laughs> choose anyone else in the world. Yeah. It's just going to be neater. 
in my opinion. I wonder if sometimes people also put more into a relationship than would normally be there. Like, I don't even know if Ed's someone she would normally be attracted to at all, but she was at a low point and so was he. That's actually what worries me the most about Sarah and Hank, to be honest with you, is that, you know, when they had that like loser off that I refer to sometimes (laughs) where they're proving which one of them is the biggest loser. I'm like, that is not a good place to be. A good thing that unites you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to be sort of like at a pretty healthy place and then want to be with someone else. But when it starts out because it's this like, well, I'm doubling down because I kind of lost the person I love because of you. So I might as well just hang out with you more. That's not a very healthy foundation, I don't think. Yeah. Meredith, did you have memories of Julia and Ed? Yes. When I saw him, then that like storyline came back right away. Yeah. But I'm feeling like I'm going to need to watch the last season because I feel like I'm fuzzy now on how everybody ends up. Did this episode being dropped into it, were you like, yeah, these are the same feelings I had as I had last time? Or were you sort of seeing anything differently? Because like Caleb, I I really liked it the first time around. Um, I thought it was sort of interesting the way that Julia found herself attracted to someone who was less conventionally handsome than her husband. You know, I'm like, oh, that's I always think that's interesting instead of just it wasn't just like lust or something. It was like some sort of emotional connection. I found that interesting. And now I just find it really toxic. And I'm like, what changed in Melissa's life, you know, to to change that? So I wondered, yeah, like for this storyline or any of the storylines, was there like just a radically different feeling for you about anything? Or was it like, I don't think so. I think this storyline with her and and Ed and her marriage breaking up, I think I probably took it more seriously and probably disliked it more because now I'm like 15 years into my marriage. Mm. So like a little more solidly married. <laughs> Airing, I would have been like four or five years and just one kid and not like doubled down in the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess I can, yeah, I could be like, oh yeah, I remember how she got to that point. I was remembering that and like empathizing with them. But then I was like more offended when she goes inside at the end. I was like, so you're done. That's it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and that, it, that makes me think before Joel moved out, you know, she said to him through tears, don't give up on me. Her going through the door feels like her giving up on like her whole family sort of, and not to put it all on her, but if there's any hope of reconciliation, is it more or less likely if she's still friends with Ed? Yeah. <laughs> I just think... Oh, yeah, no, she can't be friends with Ed. Yeah. I don't know how Joel is supposed to ever go, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not a reasonable thing, I think, to expect from him. Mm-mm. I totally think people can be friends, like like with, you know, like men and women can be friends and things like that. But I, I don't think these two can be friends. Um just because of all the baggage and you know if I just it made me sort of sad I I just thought I wish that you guys had never been attracted to each other at all I wish you just could have genuinely been friends you both needed a friend you know and the lines got all blurred and you got confused about things well and it's kind of the same now like what united them before was they were unemployed and miserable now what's uniting them is that their marriages are over. Yeah. I think if they could ever be in a in a place where something healthier was uniting them, or maybe more interestingly, 
if one was riding high and one was really struggling, do you still have a connection then? Can you get each other through hard times even when you're not there too? But as it is now, it's just like, do you even really like each other? I'm still not sure. Or is it just nice to have someone going through what you're going through? And I get that. That's why it's nice to have friends. Yeah. But maybe just go get a friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's beautifully put, Caleb. That's it. That's it exactly. And that makes the whole thing almost tragic, I think. Like, they both really needed someone. And, oh, lovely, they found someone. But feelings got involved. And yeah. I think a lot of affairs get started that way. I think that we have sort of this Hollywood idea of what affairs look like, and it's usually very sexy, you know? And I think it might more often be sort of sad, you know, like uh, just not feeling valued or seen and, oh, this person sees me and maybe that person's actually like manipulating you or that person's taking advantage of the fact that you're in a tough spot. And that's, that's really how I've been seeing Ed this season and like that. Okay. So at the end when he says, or unless you want to come in in the past, I've found Ed really creepy. And in that moment, I wasn't sure. I was like, he did. I think what I liked more about him in this episode is he felt more honest. Like when she said, I can't be friends with you instead of him saying, well, that's just great. Like he has in previous episodes, like trying to make her feel bad. He said, got it. And you could tell that it hurt him, but he said, got it. Like, okay. And yeah. Okay. So he then still goes over (laughs) to her house, which maybe (laughs) negates that. But then, you know, at the end when he says, unless you want to come in, it felt less like he was hitting on her and more like what (laughs) of We've lost everything, haven't we? Like, yeah. So I just wasn't sure how to take that. Like, do I still think he's being as manipulative as ever? Or are they truly rock bottom? And why not at this point? Yeah, that's hard to say. Because as you say that, I think, wouldn't it be more supportive to not ask her to come in? Yes, it would. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, don't ask her in. Because she already said she blames you. Yeah. 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 And and maybe there is a chance for a friendship, but not now. Like like she's it's still so fresh. And maybe maybe it would need to be her marriage actually being over for sure before I felt like, okay, maybe now you can be friends. <laughs> and then probably even then her really being over Joel. Otherwise it does feel opportunistic. Yes. To me. You're right. Yeah. I've come all the way back around. Ed's <laughs> Ed's horrible. Wow, not... this is just a whole podcast of me being right. We should do this it more is. often. <laughs> it is. I've said that many times this episode. But I think I've said but... that through the whole series. You're very smart. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Yeah. Back at you. <laughs> thank you. You know, I did like like I said as we went, I saw these two common threads throughout the whole thing. The boundary setting, like Camille with Crosby, Natalie with Drew, Julia with Ed, Sarah with Hank, Joel with Julia, which I didn't really mention, but he, you know, when he said, no, you're not going to take Sydney for the night. Again, I was like, oh, here's two people in habits and he's just not going to play that part anymore. Yeah. Where, oh, Julia just made this decision and I'm just going to go along with it. No, I'm not going to go along with it. Yeah. Bring her pajamas later. It's like, well, you're right, Joel. You're right. I know. I, I thought, then, yeah, it was harsh, but yeah, was right. And then unfortunately, I think the second thread was people taking the wrong lesson from those boundaries. Mm. Crosby, Sarah, Julia, Natalie. And then I think because of that, Adam and Christina's storyline felt very separate from mm. all the others. 
and kind of pure, especially the cancer yeah. one. Yeah. But I thought it was strange. It's kind of hard to watch characters make what I think are bad decisions <laughs> that they feel good about. Like yeah. Sarah not going to Africa, Julia going to dinner. Like, no, don't do that. But I suppose it's realistic. Like people often don't make the best choices. <laughs> the, you know, we make mistakes. Yeah, it's true. That is a great theme. I mean, I always enjoy listening to kind of what you've pulled from the episodes. But I mean, this this the the theme of the podcast episode is me just complimenting you. Um, (laughs) But it's true. I mean, that's really, that is good. All I was really thinking is, man, this is a really funny episode. It was making me laugh a lot more than usual. And um, with that, I should say that my third biggest LOL, which I forgot to say earlier, was Amber's reaction to Birdo trying to kiss her. when she was just like, no, 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 no. I don't know. It's like, God, that's funny. I did this, The whole storyline was pointless. I loved it. Um, <laughs> so. Well, I loved talking about this episode with both of you. Yay. Yeah. yeah, Meredith, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for the invite. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was so great. And now I'm kind of excited to see where this charter school goes. I only remember the broad strokes. Yeah, like I'm gonna have to watch the last season for sure. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to criticize them at every turn. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if some people who listen to us think that's all they do—they just criticize this beloved show and ruin it for us. Do you think people yeah. think that? If they think probably that, some, yeah, they probably haven't gotten to this episode. <laughs> yeah, they, they stopped listening a long time ago. Ninety yeah. episodes in, or whatever. <laughs> They're like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Oh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. If you ever want to check us out on social media, we are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Parenthood Pals Everywhere. And as always, we love it when you send an email to us or if you write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That means a lot. Thank you so much. You can find all of our info on our website, parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.